Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mayho China podcast. This is Charlie, and this is Chu Han. Chu Han and I both grew up in China and came to the United States for college education. And through our jobs in the past years, we have extensively experienced cultures in many countries around the world, across the U.S., Latin America, Europe, Africa, and also Asia. We wanted to share our cross-cultural perspectives with you to help you understand China better. So we created Meho, which is a platform where you can learn more about China and the Chinese language. Specifically, in the Meho China podcast series, you're going to hear stories on what's happening in China, and at the same time, learn some very useful and important Chinese expressions. Without further ado, let's kick it off. It's been a while since we last updated the Meho China podcast. During that time, both Chu Han and I have quit our previous jobs and have become full-time entrepreneurs. Meanwhile, we've been spending a lot of time to get ready for the private beta launch of the Meho app, where we provide thoughtfully curated, authentic content about China and approachable and efficient Chinese learning that is powered by real-time speech assessment. To help you build cultural and business contacts towards a better understanding of China. That's right. So far, we have curated a lot of amazing content about China. For example, on the upcoming IPO of Ant Group, which is the parent company of the famous Alipay app. Another example would be the YouTube superstar Li Ziqi, who is a young lady with 13 million followers on YouTube. Living the traditional rural Chinese lifestyle and cooking amazing Chinese food, we also talked about the recent Disney remake of Mulan and super idol Chris Wu and his hit song about the traditional and yet trendy Chinese biang biang noodles. There is simply too much great content about Chinese culture on Meho. Well, still not as much as the controversial content about China from other media sources. But we try our best to provide you with a fresh perspective on China. Also, so far our private beta users love the Chinese speaking practice function powered by real-time speech recognition as well. Indeed, many of our users find the Meho app super user-friendly and convenient. You can use it to practice anytime and anywhere without the burden of having to schedule to speak with a Chinese teacher. Or you can read up on some interesting stories about China that our team has handpicked for you, without having to sift through many different information sources. Plus, our team also curated trending phrases that are hard to learn from elsewhere. And if you're interested in trying the Meho app during our private beta release, you can find the sign-up form on our website at wearemeho.com. That is w-e-a-r-e-m-e-h-o.com. You are also welcome to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at We Are Meho, or our official pages on Facebook and LinkedIn for product updates and even more amazing content. We're looking forward to seeing you there. Our topic today is actually sort of related to a recent piece of content featured in the story section of the Meho app. We featured an article talking about the Oscar-winning classical musician from China, Mr. Tan Dun. And for those who are not familiar with Tan Dun, you might have heard of the Hollywood movie *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*, directed by An Li. 
It has won several awards, including the Best Foreign Language Film of the Academy Award in 2001. Tan Dun, who wrote the soundtrack of the movie, won the Best Original Score of the Academy Award as well as a Grammy Award in that year. He is widely seen as the best contemporary classical composer and conductor in China. A few weeks ago, he performed his new masterpiece called Buddha Passion in the Shanghai Summer Music Festival. It is inspired by the famous Dunhuang Cave murals in the northwest of China, and coincidentally, during the Chinese national holiday season last month, Dunhuang was among the most popular tourist destinations. Yeah, Dunhuang was really popular. When I was browsing my WeChat moments early last month, I saw many of my friends posting photos of themselves sitting on the camelbacks, wandering around the deserts near Dunhuang. The views seem super beautiful and gorgeous there, and I was so jealous. So, Charlie, do you know what's so special about Dunhuang? Absolutely. You know, I'm a history and geography nerd. Dunhuang is certainly beautiful as it sits on the edge of the Gobi Desert. More importantly, it was once a frontier garrison on the ancient Silk Road. Back in 121 BC, Emperor Wu of the Han Dynasty set up Dunhuang as a military base to guard the inner land against the barbarian Xiongnu. The Chinese name Dunhuang actually has two parts. Dun means big, and Huang means gorgeous. So the name itself shows the significance of the city. Well, wow, 121 BC—that's over 2,000 years ago. But how did this military base become a cultural symbol? Great question, Shuhan. It certainly has something to do with Dunhuang's position on the Silk Road. To better understand it, let me lay out the geography of Western China for our audience. Back in the Han and Tang dynasties, the capital of China, Chang'an, is now the city of Xi'an, which is also the starting point of the Silk Road. You know, the Silk Road goes from China through Central Asia, Middle East, and all the way to the Roman Empire. And by the way, they were all traveling by camels, which easily takes years to get there. <laughs> Absolutely, but to be able to reach Central Asia from Chang'an, there is only a narrow corridor between the high elevation plateau of Mongolia and Tibet. Dunhuang sits on the western end of that corridor. Therefore, it was a major stop point for the silk and tea merchants who traveled through the massive Gobi Desert to rest and prepare to enter the final part of the Silk Road. Through the corridor that leads to Chang'an. Wait, so basically, any visitor to China who came from the west had to make a stop in Dunhuang. Pretty much yes, and there were not only the silk and tea traders, but also included Buddhists and Muslims from India and the Middle East. As time went by, the religions and cultures greatly shaped the culture and art locally and later globally. Wow, sounds like Dunhuang was even more of a cultural hodgepodge than New York City today. I would totally agree. Think about the four cultures that have the longest history and widest impact in the world: the Chinese, the Indian, the Greek, and the Islamic. There were very few places on Earth where they all converged, and Dunhuang happened to be one of them. So we know that Dunhuang is now best known for its Mogao Caves, or the Caves of the Thousand Buddhas. Could you share more about the story behind them? I'm happy you brought up the Mogao Caves. They are essentially at the core of the Dunhuang culture, and indeed the true inspiration of Tan Dun's new masterpiece. The story started back in 366 A.D. 
which is almost 500 years after Emperor Wu of the Han Dynasty set it up as the military frontier. There was a monk who traveled to Dunhuang, magically saw golden lights glowing from the cliffs of the nearby Mingsha Mountain, which means the Mountain of Seeing Sand, and it got its name from the windy climate there. That's right. And while the monk was there, he saw thousands of Buddhas magically appeared in the golden lights. He was enlightened and then carved the very first cave off the cliffs. Little did he know, he started a legend. In the next almost 1,000 years, through many dynasties, more than 700 caves were carved with over 2,400 Buddha statues and over 45,000 square meters of Buddhist murals, making it the largest and most sophisticated Buddhism art history museum in the world. That is simply incredible. So who are the people that carved the caves, made the statues, and painted the murals? There were mostly monks and Buddhism artists for sure. In the beginning, these monks and artists were funded by the rich merchants who made money from the Silk Road. It was basically a way of redemption and praying for a safe long journey through the Silk Road. And later on, as Buddhism actually became the official religion of several Chinese dynasties, the support even came from the emperors and royal families. No wonder. So I've heard theories that the face of the tallest Mogao Buddha statue was based on Queen Zetian of Tang Dynasty, who was the only female emperor in Chinese history. It sounds very similar to how rich and noble families in Europe paid to have their own portraits painted on the murals of Catholic churches. Exactly. From that perspective, actually, Shuhan, the Eastern and Western cultures are very similar. More interestingly, even the bandits and robbers around Dunhuang were heavily influenced by the Buddhism culture and paid high prices to put up more statues and murals in the caves as a way of redeeming their crimes and sins. Hmm, interesting. Another thing that I learned about Dunhuang is that music is actually a big theme of the murals in Mogao Caves. It's fascinating to think about something as dynamic as music can be actually captured in a rather statuary art form. You're absolutely right, Chuhan. There are more than 4,000 music instruments and more than 3,000 musicians in the murals of Dunhuang. In fact, they gave Tan Dun great inspiration for his new masterpiece, The Buddha Passion. I read in his interview that in the beginning, he was reading a lot of things about Dunhuang. But the more he read, the more he was stuck because Dunhuang was such a broad topic. Yeah, perhaps one of the most profound in Chinese history. It has more than 2,000 years of history, and it's a mixture of Buddhism Taoism, and Confucianism. Later, he met Buddhist master Xing Yun, who told him to compose not from his own point of view, but from the point of view of all living beings. That opened his mind, which helped him get rid of all the fancy and complicated chords and patterns he wrote already, and instead used a lot of traditional and folk sound melodies that can directly touch the hearts of the audience. Chuhan, you brought up a great point that Dunhuang represents the culture of all living beings. Otherwise, it wouldn't be able to attract so many followers to sustain its 2,000 years of history and still has great cultural significance today. And it was also interesting to see how the life cycle of Dunhuang aligns with the trajectory of China's global influence. It initiated during the Han Dynasty about 2,000 years ago when China first became one of the greatest global powers. And it then peaked during the Tang Dynasty, roughly 1,000 years ago. 
when China became one of the most open and culturally inclusive societies. But it later became dormant during the Ming Dynasty, about 500 years ago, when China shut down the Silk Road and virtually all communications with other cultures. That's a great analogy, Shu Han. Although some were pretty sad towards the end. Today, Tandun's Buddha Passion is well received around the world when it was performed in the U.S., in Europe, and Australia, and brought Dunhuang back to our lives as China has been reopening the Silk Road to reboost the economic development and cultural communications with all the countries along it. And besides, music definitely adds another dimension to the already rich Dunhuang culture. Much of the Silk Road passes through some of the world's most troubled regions, which are again sadly heavily hit this year with coronavirus. I hope music can be a good cure for the current time. You're hitting on a great point, Chu Han. Actually, in traditional Chinese writing, the character of medicine is composed of two parts. The first is the symbol of herbs, which is the traditional form of medicine, and the second is the character of music. So it seems that the traditional Chinese wisdom has long seen music as a cure for a lot of pains and depressions. That's fascinating, Charlie. And also a very cool piece of knowledge about Chinese language and culture our audience gets to learn today. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for following the Meho China podcast, and see you next time.